When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At some point in life, all of us experience the uncomfortable feeling of shame. Shame is often unspoken of and unrecognized, and it is one of the most unpleasant and tormenting emotions humans experience. As humans, we tend to go to extreme lengths to avoid this nauseating emotion, which has the power to shut us down. Projecting our shame onto others Lying and isolating ourselves are a few of the things we do in order to diminish this feeling. Many may confuse shame with guilt. Guilt is the feeling one gets when doing something bad. Shame is related to the thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and beliefs accumulated throughout our lives, which as a result develop the core belief that one is unworthy of love and belonging. Hello, friends and family. Welcome back to the Sober is Dope podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan, and I am extremely excited to bring you all a very dear subject to me, and that's a feeling called shame. And today I really, really would love to address this because shame is one of those things that cuts deep within our spirit, deep within our soul, and deep within our mind and body. It, uh, it, it, it's toxic, it hurts, it's nauseating, and it torments us. And it can torment you. If you can't find the means to rid yourself of these negative feelings and these toxic feelings. And the reason why I say it's toxic is prolonged shame. Shame that goes beyond a reasonable time frame eats away at the body. It causes disease. It throws you out of balance. It creates mental health issues, depression. It affects your relationship with others. It affects how you look at yourself. It's, it, it's, it creates a shame spiral that you hear a lot. And today I just really want to address this. And I want to say to everyone out there, if you're struggling, you're not alone. And I give props to everyone in the recovery community, all my friends, Across the podcast landscape, all of my bloggers, everyone in Clubhouse who's doing their part to talk about shame and what they're doing to address it and the issues they're having, right? There's many people in my circle, including myself, that had to do a lot of work in dealing with the shame that my addiction caused, that I caused through my addiction. Because first I have to take the accountability And I always tell people Well thank God My shame is tormenting me 
in a way because at least I'm not a sociopath, right? And I have the inability to even feel these emotions. Thank God that I at least could feel um, and remember the darkness of my addiction and the things that I did to cause harm or to frighten maybe or to, to, to really alienate or to hurt others. And there's parents who have to deal with this in recovery that may have put themselves out there in front of their children. There's husbands, wives who really said and did things that were extremely damaging and hurtful to the person that they love. And when you're in addiction, you're not in your right state of mind. So when you sober up, you have the memories of the passenger, the dark passenger that causes all of this turmoil. And because you're a naturally good person, you're conscious of the darkness and the pain. And that eats away at you and you feel like pressing the reset or rewind button. But some things we just cannot rewind. Some things you can't erase. But the good news is as long as you are in recovery... You took the necessary steps to start the healing process, right? I always refer to addiction as the monster in the room. And when you're sober, you killed the monster. And the shame that you feel inside while sober is the shame that the monster caused, And the first thing you could say to someone that was hurt by that monster called addiction is, I killed the monster. I'm no longer an addict. I'm no longer drunk or high. And I'm sober now. So you don't ever have to worry about that monster. And I'm responsible for the sins and the damage this monster's caused. And I hope you could forgive me. And I hope I could forgive myself. That's the beginning stages. So if you're in recovery and you don't know how to reconcile shame, just know you took the first step and killed that monster that caused the darkness that's eating and tormenting you and eating away at your spirit and your soul. And before we go on, I would love to talk about the distinction and difference between shame and guilt. And the best person to explain this is Dr. Brene Brown. And I have a beautiful explanation she gives on the difference between shame and guilt while she was talking with Oprah on the OWN Network podcast. And it's really cool. So let's cut and go check out Dr. Brene Brown. And then I'll come back and we'll get more into how to reconcile shame and recovery. I'll catch you guys on the other side. Dr. Brene Brown is a research professor at the University of Houston, where she holds the Huffington Foundation Endowed Chair at the Graduate College of Schoolwork. Brene is also a visiting professor in management at the University of Texas at Austin McComb School of Business. She has spent the past two decades studying courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy and is the author of five number one New York Times bestsellers and the host of the weekly Spotify original podcast, Unlocking Us and Dare to Lead. 
The thing to understand about shame is it's not guilt. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. How many of you, if you did something that was hurtful to me, would be willing to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake? How many of you would be willing to say that? Guilt. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Shame. I'm sorry, I am a mistake. There is a huge difference between shame and guilt. And here's what you need to know. Shame is highly, highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, aggression, bullying, suicide, eating disorders. And here's what you even need to know more. Guilt, inversely correlated with those things. The ability to hold something we've done or failed to do up against who we want to be is incredibly adaptive. It's uncomfortable, but it's adaptive. If you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three things to grow exponentially. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you put the same amount of shame in a Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. The two most powerful words when we're in struggle, me too. And so I'll leave you with this thought. If we're going to find our way back to each other, vulnerability is going to be that path. And I know it's seductive to stand outside the arena because I think I did it my whole life and think to myself, I'm going to go in there and kick some ass when I'm bulletproof and when I'm perfect. And that is seductive. But the truth is, that never happens. And even if you got as perfect as you could and as bulletproof as you could possibly muster, when you got in there, that's not what we want to see. We want you to go in. We want to be with you and across from you. And we just want for ourselves and for the people we care about and the people we work with to dare greatly. So thank y'all very much. I really appreciate it. Shame is defined as a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. A loss of respect or esteem, dishonor, a regrettable or unfortunate situation or action, a person, action or situation that brings a loss of respect or honor. Shame is an unpleasant self-conscious emotion typically associated with the negative evaluation of the self, withdrawal of emotions, motivations, and feelings of distress, exposure, mistrust, powerlessness, and worthlessness. Guilt. Guilt is a feeling of having done wrong or failed in an obligation. So, first of all, let's just talk about shame. You've studied it. I did. Not many people have studied it. No. In fact, I wanted to study it, and a lot of people said, no, don't study it, don't study it. And then I was kind of a rebel rouser, you know, a little hellraiser. And so I thought, oh, no, then I'm going to study it definitely if I shouldn't study it. And I go to the stacks at the library at our college, and the first article I pull says, the decision to study shame has been the death of many academic careers. Oh, my goodness. I was like, student loans, death of the career. I'm like, oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. You know why? Why? Nobody wants to talk about it. Yes. We have a visceral reaction to the word shame. So you say that if you're, if you're like on an airplane and somebody say, oh, what do you do? And you say, I study shame. People, they, they literally turn the other way. I have answers based on whether I want to chat or not. Yes. And the I answer. Say, I study courage. Oh, yeah. I study shame. Oh, uh. <laughs> These angry birds are fantastic, aren't they? And that's it. Wrap it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, the one, two, three is about shame. We all have it. It's the most human, primitive emotion that we experience. How do you define it? The intensely painful feeling that we are unworthy of love and belonging. And does it occur after a particular incident or does it occur over, you know, many life experiences? Both. Both. It could, it could happen in an instant. You know, there are specific memories that we can recall that can bring up shame for us. But there are also very insidious, quiet messages that we just marinate in over a lifetime. This is what I have always known about and tried to get across to people. And don't think I was successful at it, really, uh, in the 25 years of the Oprah show. The thing about abuse, and particularly sexual abuse, most people think it's about the sex. It's really about the shame that occurs after the sex. And it's keeping it the secret. And we're only as, as liberated as our secrets. And the secret creates the shame and you end up feeling like you're a bad person. And it's the shame that damages your life. The actual act itself, people can get over that, but it's the shame that you carry with it. There is no question in my mind no that that's true. about that. That's just truth. That's just that's like God truth. Yeah. Um, I think shame is lethal. I think shame is deadly. Um, and I think we are swimming in it deep. Do people recognize it, no. though? I think people don't recognize so people it. People have one or two reactions when I say shame. They yeah. say, I don't know what you're talking about, but that has nothing to do with me. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I'm not talking about that. <laughs> but here's the bottom line with shame. Mm-hmm. The less you talk about it, the more you got it. it. Shame needs three things to grow exponentially in our lives. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. Yeah. So you put shame in a Petri dish. Yeah. And you douse it with a little secrecy, a little silence, and a little judgment. It grows exponentially. It will creep into every corner and crevice of your life. And shape all of your... Shape everything. Shape everything. The way you think, the way you think about yourself, the way you think about other people, the way you interact with other people, what you do, the choices you make, who you marry, who you... All of it. Yeah. You put the same amount of shame in a Petri dish and you douse it with empathy. Mm-hmm. You've created an environment that is hostile to shame. Wow. Shame cannot survive being spoken. It cannot survive empathy. So if I call you, if I, something really shaming happens to me. And you talk about it. And I call you and I say, oh God, Oprah, it's Brene. You're not going to believe what happened. I'm in such deep shame. And you say, what's going on? And I tell you and you express empathy. Yes. Shame can't survive it. Shame has Shame depends on me buying in to the belief that I'm alone. Hmm. You know, I have a good friend, Robert Hilliker, who I work with, and he's a therapist, and he always says, hey, keep the shadow up here, because it can only take you down from behind. Whoa, that's good. Yeah. Types of shame. Genuine shame is associated with genuine dishonor, disgrace, or condemnation. Forced shame is associated with false condemnation. For example, he brought what he did upon himself, although the person could have been totally innocent. Secret shame describes the idea of being ashamed to be ashamed, so causing ashamed people to keep their shame a secret. Toxic shame is different for kids and adults. For the purpose of this podcast, I'm going to talk about toxic shame as it relates to adults. Toxic shame can 
develop in adulthood when mistakes continue to haunt you long after they happen. Feeling unable to admit what you did or take some sort of reparative action can make this outcome even more likely. Toxic shame blocks a more positive view of yourself. If you believe you're evil, unlovable, stupid, or any number of other negative and untrue things, you may see them as permanent states you can't do anything to change and struggle to develop a healthy self-worth. Vicarious shame refers to the experience of shame on behalf of another person. So, friends and family, in recovery we experience more of the toxic shame. And toxic shame really does a number on the mind and body and spirit connection because it leaves you feeling extremely broken and it eats away at you. And it does a number on your self-esteem, your self-identity, your self-worth. It makes it very hard to breathe when you carry this type of shame around, thus making it toxic. Because you don't really know how to get rid of it. You don't know how to deal with it. And you hold it in. And people usually say, forgive yourself and do this and do that. But it keeps replaying in your mind. And this creates thought ruminations. And when you ruminate about the shame and the deeds and mistakes that cause the shame. And you keep replaying it throughout your mind. This is how you create an unhealthy environment. For yourself, for your body, for your spirit, for your family, for your friends. But 90% of the time, you're walking around holding this deep within your heart. And you just wish you could press the reset button, and we can't. In our next segment, Dr. Brene Brown is going to talk about a few things we can do to deal with shame. Enjoy. So I love this question. You mentioned gremlin thinking. This is from Allison Smella. You mentioned gremlin thinking. What's the silent language to move that aside and step into authenticity? Good question. So men and women who had high levels of shame resilience, meaning they could totally acknowledge and move through shame without jeopardizing their authenticity, had four things in common. The first was they know what triggers shame for them. They know what the triggers are. Like for me, I know what the triggers are. I have stuff around motherhood and balancing work. I have stuff around appearance. Secondly, huge skill, you can reality check them. Three, you reach out and share your story. And four, you speak shame. So just to boil it down, it's three totally counterintuitive things. Talk to yourself like you talk to someone you love when you're feeling unworthy. How would I talk to Ellen and Charlie in a moment of unworthiness? Would I ever, I mean, I would say to myself, God, you're so stupid, Brene. What were you thinking? I would never talk to my kids that way. Talk to yourself like you talk to someone you love. Reach out to someone you trust and tell your story. Shame cannot survive being spoken. It needs three things to just absolutely grow exponentially. Yeah, that's why secrets really intensify the shame. And you're you're as sick as your secrets because when you're ashamed, you keep it a secret and that just sort of festers and ends up really overwhelming your life, the shame. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But when you release it, that's why all those years on the Oprah show, when people come on and share things that they never shared with anybody else, do you leave and you feel freer? You feel unburdened by some of it. Yes. Absolutely. Secrecy is one of the three things. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. 
those are the three things shame needs to grow exponentially in our lives. The antidote, empathy. It cannot survive being spoken and being met with empathy. In our last clip, we listened to the Dalai Lama and some other amazing people briefly talk about the concept of considering forgiveness. Because when you're wrapped in a shame spiral and you're spinning out of control and you're living with this toxic shame and this toxic guilt and it's suffocating you, I mean literally suffocating you, you find it hard to breathe when those memories arise, you know, it keeps the parasympathetic response turned on, that stress response we talk about a lot, you know, that fight flight or freeze that we talk about and that comes from the constant thoughts replaying the negative mistakes you made that's causing the shame we know that this stuff eats eats at you and we know when someone says well you should forgive yourself or practice self-forgiveness it's it's easier said than done so sometimes we gotta look at forgiveness and what it means we have to examine what self-forgiveness truly looks like and i love the term that we're gonna play in this clip considering forgiveness like really consider what it looks like consider what it means you're sober you went through the process you can't beat yourself up forever you can't let your mind put you in an early grave neither, right? You have to be able to say enough is enough, right? If I'm going to go to hell for my sins, I'm not going to live it on earth. Like if I have to, sometimes enough is enough. It's but so much battery you could take and self-inflicted torture and torment from the negative aspects of the mind and the negative aspects of self-talk. Now, don't get me wrong, a lot of us deserve to live the torment of our sins, depending on the sins, right? But that's just an idea. I'm talking to the individual. I believe that everyone deserves grace. Everyone deserves a level of forgiveness. And why torture yourself if you already did the process and you're in recovery? It's a good reminder not to relapse and play around with addiction, right? The shame is a beautiful reminder, but to the point to where it creates autoimmune diseases, where it tears away at your immune system and creates problems in your body, where it makes you nauseous and you can't breathe and you can't think straight and you can't serve yourself and your family, that's when the shame starts to become extremely toxic and that that's when we have to consider forgiveness. That's when we have to consider professional therapy. That's when we have to consider getting professional help. So you're not alone. You're listening to Sopa's Dope. I'm Pop Buchanan. I'm excited to end this episode with this short clip from our friend, the Dalai Lama. Right. And let's listen to what he has to say. Right. Um, about forgiveness and considering forgiveness and being compassionate enough to really think deep about what forgiveness means in your life. And look, for those of you who are not spiritual, for those of you who don't want to hear about the Bible, for those of you who want to leave God out of recovery and all of that, God may be the answer. Right. God is always the answer. Let me take that back. But if you're not religious, maybe it's time to reconsider 
what God had to say about forgiveness, what the Bible has to say about forgiveness, what the Quran has to say about forgiveness, what the holy books have to say about forgiveness. Don't think that you can't consult with a priest if you're not a Christian. Don't think that you can't talk to a rabbi if you're not Muslim. You could talk to these people and say, listen, I'm a human being. I'm struggling. I want to get spiritual direction, right? Also, therapy is good. Seeing a psychiatrist is good, right? Seeing a psychologist or consulting with someone. Um, this is very, very important. So enjoy this clip and please consider giving yourself the grace. Forget, consider having mercy on yourself and for, consider doing the extraordinary work of healing beyond your shame. I'll catch you guys on the other side. The spirit of confession is actually is making distinction yourself and your uh, uh, negative action. So if you see the, at that moment you just you see uh, I said they unify your action and yourself, then difficult make the confession. Confession. Now you realize your wrong deeds. Uh, now uh, that's shameful. That's very very wrong. Now I apologize or I confess. To forgive myself if I did something wrong, there's three steps. One, to seek Almighty God forgiveness. Because in the end when I do something wrong, He is the master and I have to respond to Him. Two, if that matter between me and God, I break some rules. I suppose I'm not allowed, I'm not, uh, allowed to drink wine or to lie or to cheat. Or to. So if I do that, then I should seek Almighty God forgiveness. If that between me and human being, I should ask their forgiveness because this is a human right and apologize to them and then make a commitment that I will never go back to that kind of behavior. If we don't truly know how to love ourselves, and if we tr don't truly know how to forgive ourselves, I don't think we can really love another or, or forgive um, another. So the love of the other has, I think, to start with the love of oneself. To forgive oneself, one must confess his own wrongs and learn to repent by reciting scriptures and doing rituals. If you have harmed others, you must apologize. Then you will be able to forgive yourself. As soon as you realize your wrong deeds is wrong, then you already become pure. Tips on forgiving yourself and how to forgive yourself. One, focus on your emotions. All right, really focus on your emotions. Every time you feel really emotional around something that may cause shame, think about 
something that makes you happy. Think about good things you're doing and try to be aware of your emotions. Practice your breathing. Try to bring these emotions under control. Don't let your emotions run you. You run the show. So focus on your emotions. Two, acknowledge the mistake out loud. Now, this is important with shame, guilt, sin, mistakes, things that you hold secret in secret that you too ashamed to tell others these are the things that you have to speak out loud find someone you can confide in find someone you could really share the embarrassment and the shit you may have messed up it may be something that's ugly but find one person you could say look I did something that's killing me and it's eating me up inside and I just have to say it to someone but before you do that just say it out loud say I'm ashamed because of this I'm guilty because of this right I sin because of this I feel horrible I feel nauseated I can't breathe because of this mistake say that thing out loud and then ask yourself for forgiveness but starting the process of forgiveness is saying it out loud, getting it out and saying that I want to be forgiven. I want to fix this thing. Right. I want to get to the bottom of this because I don't want to be tormented by this. And if I could rewind this in time and change this mistake, I would do that with all my heart. But I can't rewind time and I don't have that ring that Thanos has. So I have to really live with this. And I don't want to be burdened with this so much anymore, right? You can carry some of the burden, but not to the point to where it's toxic. Think of each mistake as a learning experience. Think of that thing you did as a learning experience, right? And I'm going to give you a perfect example to my friends and family in the recovery community. Let's just say me, I'm an uncle. I love my nieces and nephews. Thank God I never did anything to them in my addiction that would bring me shame today. But for the purpose of the conversation, let's say I did. I love my nieces and nephews. I don't have kids yet. So they're like my little ones that I love. I care about them because they're family and they're young and I see myself in them. If I were to do something to hurt them. Maybe I frightened them in my addiction. Maybe I scared them. Maybe I acted so nasty and such a way to make them so frightened that they never look at me the same. I would have to think of that mistake and use it as a learning experience. Now, you're going to say, Pop, how do we do that? That experience is what will keep you from ever relapsing again. That experience was will keep you alive. Addiction will certainly kill you. And maybe the universe in some way used someone that was so innocent to be a witness of your darkness that causes you this nauseating shame that you feel like you can't breathe with Maybe the universe intended for you to use that as a perfect reminder on the ugliness and the dangers of drug and alcohol. And although you have to do the work to forgive yourself of that shame and that mistake and that sin and that problem and that ugliness you caused. 
that will save your life. And then you could go on and help hundreds of people. And then you still could go back to that family member. In the case of the example I use, I can go back to my nieces and nephews if I ever were to hurt them and make amends and truly say, can I talk to you for a minute? Maybe you was too young to remember. There was once a time where your uncle was drunk and drinking and I did something to frighten you and I did something to hurt you. And I really want to tell you that I'm sorry and you deserve to hear it. And you didn't deserve to see that. And I feel horrible, but I promise you, you will never see me like that again because I no longer use drugs and I no longer use alcohol. And I believe that we all need to be forgiven and that we all need to live this beautiful life. And will you forgive me? And can I have a big hug? Something like that can go a long way for you crushing the toxic shame that life causes. And that addiction brings to you, brings to us and that drugs and alcohol brings to us. So please consider what I'm saying and consider forgiveness. The next thing, have a conversation with your inner critic. Now, you know, part of shame is that thought in your mind that's telling you, girl, you ain't shit. Boy, you know, you ain't shit. You done messed up now. Look at you. You a failure. Oh, you ain't never going to get past this. You never going to get past that. That thought in your head. That inner critic that really doesn't know you. It's just there to piss you off and to make you doubt yourself. That inner critic, you have to challenge it and have a conversation with it. Right? Remember. There's an aspect of ourself in our subconscious, our conscious, our minds that could control anything. We are masters of our universe. So the thoughts in your head, they serve you. You don't serve them. The images that you see, the, 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 the feelings and the emotions, you still govern. You're the governor. Your mind is the supreme governor. Your brain is the supreme governor. You have the consciousness. Look, scientists can't measure consciousness. They can't measure mind. They can measure the electrical circuits and the electricity of the mind that the mind, the brain creates. You can't measure mind, spirit, and you can't measure some of these things. So you're the governor. Control those thoughts. Check those thoughts. Say, listen, you're not going to hold me prisoner forever, buddy. I'm, I'm certainly aware of the mistakes I made. But I, I'm living a better life and I deserve peace. And you're going to calm down in this moment because I got to live with you. You have to live with me. You're not going to run me into the grave. This is sometime the bizarre talk that we have to have with ourselves. Right. And this is realistic things like right now, the inner critic and the inner voices in your head and that mind chatter. Y'all hear me talk about that a lot. This is real stuff. And this is cutting edge because these, you know, 10 years, 20 years ago, no one was talking about that. The voice in your head, people was telling you you was crazy, right? When someone was talking to themselves and they was dealing with mental health, they was trying to deal with out loud the inner thoughts in their head. They was having a loud conversation with their inner thoughts and everyone points to them and say, oh, look at that crazy person talking to himself. Because, of course, humanity are, is really hard on humanity. 
But if you really just put it in perspective, that person was just so tormented that they started speaking out loud. Now, I never want your shame to take you, your toxic shame to take you to a place of insanity. So we have to deal with it today. And that and that and that's that's how how we deal with that forgiveness. Okay, you have to forgive yourself today. All right. Notice when you are being self-critical. That's important. And quiet the negative messages of your inner critic. Look, sometimes prayer shuts all of that down. Sometimes a good long meditation shuts all that down. You notice that you really can't feel terrible about yourself when you're sleeping. Right. When you really in deep sleep, you don't feel critical about yourself or anything. You're not beating yourself up. So meditation and prayer are the two things that could bring you closest to relaxation and sleep and the theta waves that your brain can really heal in. And that rest and digest state where your sympathetic nervous system um, can really do its work. Right. Because we know one thing is not happening when we're processing this toxic shame. It's healing. You can't heal when you're going through toxic guilt and toxic shame. You can't heal when your mind is racing and you're not in equilibrium, right? You can only heal when you're calm and you're in a restful state. That rest and digest. Think about that. The, the, the sympathetic response is when you're calm, you're breathing, and you and your rest and digest and your body can heal. The parasympathetic response is when you're ready to fight, run, or you're stuck, or you're paralyzed, right? Right? So I look at my life when I was drinking as a long parasympathetic response. I was always stuck, sitting in a chair somewhere, stuck, couldn't get up, drunk, angry, pissed off, have a cold, coughing, sneezing, cut, fights. So it was a mess. Because I wasn't in my alignment and I wasn't in a state of healing, right? So when I got healthier and sober and I started relaxing, I started having better sleep. I started becoming less sick. I started looking better, feeling better. And now I could deal with the shame, the guilt, and the embarrassment of my addiction without it killing me because I feel terrible about it all day. And this is all about prolonged shame and toxic shame. All right. Last but not least, get clear about what you want. If the mistake you made hurt another person, you need to determine the best course of action. Do you want to talk to this person and apologize? If it is important to reconcile to them and with them and make amends, then do so. Lastly, take your own advice. Oftentimes, it's easier to tell someone else what to do than to take your own advice. I really like that. Imagine what you'll tell your friend if they came to you with your problem. You'll give them, oh, you become Dr. Phil in a moment. Oh, come on now. We notice uh, my friends and family in the recovery community, you notice you Oprah, Dr. Phil and Gandhi all in one when someone comes to you with a problem. Oh, no, you got every answer in the book. But when you have that same problem, you you speechless. You don't know what to say, what to do. You don't know how to move and how to work. So. Think about what you would say to someone you really love. Think about what you would say to your kid if they came to you with your problem. And the first thing you would say is, baby, 
Don't worry about it. You're doing better now. You're in recovery. You're doing everything right. Why are you still worrying about your past? You can't let your past kill you. You got to forgive yourself. That's what you'll say to someone you love. So why don't you do it for yourself? I know it's easier said than done, so you have to do some work. You might have to see a therapist. You're going to have to see the priest. You're going to have to do a hell of a lot of prayer. You're going to have to do a hell of a lot of meditation. But you know what? In the long run, you're doing the work. And one day you're going to wake up and no longer associate this shame with you in that way. Because once you realize that your new transformed self does not have to be held bondage by the past of your addiction, you'll be set free. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Soberest Dope Podcast. I love you all. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Here's some practical tips on how to beat shame. Um, I love you. I hope you took some value away. I'm going to do more episodes on this. Let's just really do the work together let's start talking about our shame that let's use clubhouse let's let's use podcasts and let's use the community to say what we hold inside out loud so when we recover out loud we heal out loud we confess out loud and we start to forgive ourselves out loud have a blessed day and thanks for joining us bye we would like to close the podcast out with an affirmation of love and forgiveness from Deepak Chopra. Affirmation for love and forgiveness. Close your eyes. Become aware of your breathing. Put your awareness in your heart. Now mentally repeat to yourself, I become capable of love and forgiveness by giving love and forgiveness. I'm capable of love and forgiveness by giving love and forgiveness. I practice attention, which is listening, affection, which is caring, appreciation, noticing the good in others, attention, affection, appreciation, attention, affection, appreciation. This is how I become capable of love and forgiveness. And slowly open your eyes.